So they they eventually have to announce the price of these new consoles, right? They already announced it, dude. It's dollars. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Oh, I didn't think it would be that low, high. Just use the one. <laughs> the, <laughs> no, you got to dub it later. Oh shit! And so it sounds like shit. That's so the whole bit. You think in an industry that is so like about prioritizing like pre-orders? I have a f- theory about that, which is that I think that they don't want a lot of pre-orders because they probably can't make Go a lot on. of these things oh, yeah, right now. Yeah, early adapters. Exactly. Yeah. They're, so, they're, they're going to be so fucking expensive and they're, gonna they're be just so going to be so hard to make yeah. that they are not going to make enough of them. You I mean, they're, they're how... still going to tout that they sold out of the first run of them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, that's why. So uh, yeah. they, it's it, in it all, such... We can't it's, even it's, keep up with demand. The, the wheel of capitalism it keeps <laughs> on turning because what's going to happen is... There's no so, way that Sony and, and Microsoft are going to be better at artificial uh, like scarcity than Nintendo. That's so like what's going to happen is... You got Corona and the way that affected manufacturing. Sure. Because obviously these things are going to be made in China. Mm-hmm. You have, on top of that, the fact that computer components <laughs> are so competed for these days because cell phones use them, consoles use right. them, computers yeah, use them, yeah. laptops use them, fucking microwaves use them, you know. So they have to compete with those. You combine that with the fact that these things are probably coming in pretty hot and they probably just, I assume just now, it's July, by the way, when this is being recorded. Yeah. Well, that, well, I know we made our joke, but <laughs> just now getting to the manufacturing, I think they released like a photo like a week ago of the first PS5 coming off the production line or something. So It's officially gone and gold. They, <laughs> yeah, and they beamed it with a Star Trek beam up. They beamed it off of the assembly line <laughs> but and like, into yeah. the warehouse. Eventually, this game of, of chicken is going to run out. I mean, it's. I mean, do you think by the time that this episode goes up, we'll know? That's that's only two full months well, to see. like drive people into stores to full put disclo- money down. Full disclosure for those listening, we're not 100% sure exactly when this episode is going to come out. But we think around the end of August. Uh, right? Yeah, mid mid to uh, mid to late August. Yeah, mid to late August. So that will be after Gamescom and TGS, or whatever the hell replaces Gamescom and TGS. Right, and that should be. Are the... they even going to do a stream for those, or are they just like that's the whole uh... thing? It's like in an in a normal year where the world wasn't completely on fire, I could be like, well, they're probably waiting until TGS to announce it, or they're probably waiting till Gamescom to announce it. I mean, Microsoft has their thing next week. I don't think that they'll announce a price. I think that they'll announce the second Xbox, the Lockhart, whatever that's supposed to be, and yeah. then still not talk about Series price. Series S. I guess. I just, like, I don't know. It's just weird. This is very unprecedented. Yeah. Like, <laughs> For more reasons than one, obviously. What but. if, like... All right. This is going to be a wild suggestion. Bear with me. What if they, like, just priced it based on what it costs to make? Sony or Microsoft? Both. I, I think Microsoft's going to go the financing route. That's more of a Sony thing. Well, then why that? Then they might not even announce a price. Well, I mean, you can't say, hey, this costs $20 a month and not say what it actually, like, the, the MSRP or whatever. Yeah, you can't give a financing option without... Giving people the option to buy it outright. Yeah. Which I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm already financing a car and a cell phone and fucking medicine or whatever. I'm not <laughs> financing my fucking. I, I will. I, I can afford. Like, that's that's the way that I would be able to actually get. A, I know. It's, it's a good a option. A new console. Just saying. Oh, I'm not saying it's not. 
I don't know, want I don't want the up, bank but... to own my PlayStation Five, Randy. They're not gonna take it back. <laughs> Yeah, they wouldn't be able to if you tried it's automatic turrets. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna re- they're gonna repossess my PS5 right when I'm in the middle of playing. We still Uncharted don't even know 5. how much the games are gonna get are gonna cost. Because, Sixty to seventy dollars. Well, okay, so at this point, can you pre order that fucking two K basketball game for yes, se- Okay. For so 70. that's for seventy dollars. And then Ubisoft just had their thing, and now you can pre order the next generation versions of Far Cry for sixty dollars. Yeah, but do you remember when... Because the smart delivery thing doesn't make... Hold on. Okay. Do you remember when Perfect Dark Zero and Cameo came out and they were 50? Were they? Mm Mm-hmm. Then why were the games that were available on... Like the, the cross, Call of Duty was sixty. The cross generational games. Yeah, we don't like, remember because plenty of people tried to forget that they paid fifty dollars for Perfect Dark Zero. <laughs> it's true. But like, what about Cameo? But I don't care about Cameo either. What else did Microsoft make? Well, I, Cameo I just, game most likely for me to scroll past the, his thumbnail but, for the rest but, of eternity. But those games like like American Wasteland and Gun and Peter Jackson's King Kong, those were fifty dollars on PS2, Xbox, and GameCube. Those were sixty dollars on 360. Oh, maybe Ubisoft just cares about their customers. Dude. I mean, that? do you think Peter it, Jackson's King Kong was dope? It was kind of dope. I watched this weird analysis yeah, of all about the that game. Na- the other day. Of all the games he just named, that's the one to point out. As, <laughs> that oh, is awesome. It was better than the movie. Was it better than Gun or American Wasteland? <laughs> <laughs> well, I honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun I with all those games, but I don't know. I mean, do you think gaming i mean i was talking to you about this the other day and if the industry is going to go back to just being unregulated in terms of msrp like just publishers deciding it's like hey this game's i mean we're kind of there already with indie stuff is it i don't think it's regulated now well i know that at one point microsoft did make a rule make a rule hmm yeah i think it was a cap yeah, which Sony also followed suit. Well, I don't know if Nintendo did, but I mean, we talked about it in our episode, in our Valve episode. But Half Life Two is the first modern game that I saw for sixty dollars, and that was still just PC. Yeah, not worth it, right? I mean, if it makes people feel better, you I can guess. go. You, you can buy for two ninety nine. Should have waited ten years. <laughs> Absolutely worth it. That game. Halo but, Two was fifty dollars. But, but you can go back and look at catalogs Same. from the nineties that have N sixty four games yeah, for like, like cr- eighty and Chrono Trigger is, is the obvious and, yeah, example. Genesis for everybody games like a hundred dollars or some weird yeah. shit. But then at some point it was like, hey, everything's fifty, and then it was like everything's sixty. That's a good thing to look into. I don't actually know if there is a rule for Xbox One and PS4 of whether or not games have to be sixty. I, I don't. No, well, there isn't a rule because there's been plenty of physical boxes that have come out like on disc that'll be twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, whatever. No, I know, but like a cap is what I mean. Oh, a like cap. a cap at fifty nine oh. ninety nine. Well, that gets garbled up with all the special edition shit. Well, yeah, the special edition <laughs> shit. The special edition shit is if they had a cap, that would be how you get around it, right? You just go like, well, That's you can get. You can Here's get a- some skins at seventy dollars, <laughs> or eighty, or hundred, or whatever. <laughs> oh, you mean like Bungie does now? <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, Ubisoft announced that you can buy like a seventy dollars version of Far Cry that comes with like a gun skin or whatever. Well, I, that's why I use 2K because it's like uh, they're already their pricing structures already egregious because that basketball game is going to be littered with microtransactions anyway. I also realize that you play Plus as a thing. Forgot about that. So wait, is that paid for? It's te- it's like fifteen dollars a month, and you get every Ubisoft game. Do you get uh, like when every time Siege releases new content? Do you get uh, that? I believe I don't think you do, but I okay. 
don't know. I was just saying, since Assassin's Creed and Watch Dogs and Far Cry are all coming out within like five hours of each other. <laughs> I, could just I, mean, get, I could just get you play plus i mean you pointed it out also that like what's the point in buying a 70 dollars series x or ps5 game if you could just buy a 60 dollar like well that's why i think far cry costs 60 and i think because that, you can just up because you can just upgrade upgrade anyway. and then once they stop making xbox one versions that's when smart delivery will stop because i think it's a stop gap and then they'll just right They'll just be $70. It'll be like, instead of paying $60 for the Xbox One version and getting the Series X version or for the PS4 version upgrading, yeah. it would be $70, and then they would be like, you also have can play it on PS4. I mean, I should point out that me and you, we bought a Call of Duty game, I think it was Ghost was cross-generation, and we paid 70 and that just gave us codes for both. Mm-hmm. For because we played it on 360 for like the best Call of Duty. Some might say. <laughs> I was gonna say that, that game sucked anyway. <laughs> it was like the worst one to spend seventy dollars on. It was. And then yeah, when the Xbox One came out, then we just cashed another code. Mm-hmm. But now they have discs that do that anyway, where they're re-releasing like Oblivion and mm-hmm. World at War and shit. I don't know. It's it's the so whole idea. There. I think is that at least for Xbox One, PS4. Xbox Series X, PS5, they're all Blu-ray lasers, so mm-hmm. it's not like... It's more expensive to... You don't have to put two lasers in. Oh, yeah. Because, okay. like, with the PS1 and the PS2 and then the PS2 to the PS3, like, with the PS1, they had a special laser that would shine through those black backs, mm-hmm. and then they didn't they do that cool. with PS2. They were did, just DVDs. Weren't there a couple and PS2 then, games that had, like, the blue backs? They did, but they that, that. that was nothing. That yeah. was just to look cool. And then the PS... <laughs> it did look cool, to be yeah. fair. And then, the P- <laughs> and then the PS3 was Blu-ray, so they had to, like, put the lasers, which is why eventually the PS3 just stopped including PS2 compatibility. And those discs weren't even blue. No, nah, they were fucking normal colored bullshit, dude. <laughs> Welcome to Hot Button, everybody. It's <laughs> um, a good transition. Yeah. I'm Randall Beatrice, and those magnificent voices were Austin Blakesley. <laughs> You're, Jason's going to kill you. Yeah, he is. And Chris Anantuano. You introduced us this time. Uh, I did. Uh, <laughs> well, that episode got lost anyway, so we're going to have to... Oh, the lost, yeah, the lost clips. Yeah, too hot Dude, for it was, iTunes. I made a joke that was so funny... That Randy shit himself, <laughs> and then we had then we, we lost it because we asked we paused it wrong so he could go clean himself up. That's why we lost it. <laughs> that's that's official hot button cannon now. I'd like that to is, yeah that is. I also um, discovered the cure for cancer and made a billion dollars, but, but I lost insta- it all. Instead of writing it down, you just said it on the podcast, and then the audio <laughs> file got corrupted. <laughs> so today is going to be an interesting one, a topic that I'm ashamed to say is a little bit of a black mark on my gaming knowledge as a Wii one growing up in the 90s. See, we all remember... Talking the- about the Wii? <laughs> See, we, we all remember the Super Nintendo. Keep saying Wii. Right? We all remember the N64. Is that WII all remember the N64? <laughs> but you know what we don't tend to remember? The official... The GameCube. Uh, oh, don't... I'll, uh, <laughs> don't even. That official home console released between then by our big boys at the big end, the Virtual Boy. The head- wasn't, wasn't it technically a handheld, which is why it was called the Virtual Boy? No, because it was not portable. I thought it was. Nope. 
Uh, it was marketed to be portable. Yeah, we'll get so into to that. plug it into a wall. <laughs> the head-mounted, headache-inducing double D-pad featuring red and black double monstrosity D's? that even the creators of the Wii U like to pretend didn't happen. It was ambitious. It was audacious. It was expensive. And boy, did it fail. Chris, what exactly led to this thing getting to market? And what about its reception made Nintendo never want to attempt glasses 3D again until the DS's successor 15 years later. And did it have a handle on it? That's <laughs> the important question. Why did that well, one horror first-person shooter that was uh, made for it never come to the United States? <laughs> well, this is more of a story of a man specifically, or a couple of men, and it's more about, well, obviously it involves technology and money, so of course it's about men sticking their dicks into everything, but like this is more about the story of just ambitious people and technology, which is something that comes up all too much in the world of virtual reality in general, which is something we'll get into. Um, oh, so VR! First, I have <laughs> one of those. Yeah. So, picture this. Ooh. You just got a brand new CyberPower PC <laughs> Gamer Xtreme with an X VR gaming PC liquid cool with Windows 10 Home. I'm closing okay? my eyes. I can see it right now. You order a Valve Index for $500 on the Steam Summer Sale <laughs> or 1000 if you missed it. No. Is that on sale? It wasn't on sale. Uh, a little fun fact for fu- you. The $500 is just for the headset. The $1,000 oh, comes the with Half-Life Alex yeah. and the lighthouses and the controllers. There you go. So it comes with a, it comes with on. a lighthouse. <laughs> you have to you have to put you have to put up two lighthouses in your room before you can play. That's how accessible it is. So you put your headset on because it's your time. Because Valve canceled ten other games that everybody actually wanted to play, so that you and seventeen other people could play Half Life Alex. All right, you turn it on. And instead of Half-Life Alex, it's a red and black Monaco Mario Tennis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. Is Waluigi and there? Then, and then you wake up. He didn't and exist it was, yet. All just, it was all just a bad dream because <laughs> you don't live in a world where all VR technology stemmed from the creation of Nintendo's <laughs> Virtual Boy. It is a great name. No, it stemmed from the movie The First Kid. You remember they played VR in that movie? No. What the hell movie is that? <laughs> Is Sinbad? Oh, Good Burger. No. So originally, I had planned to uh, do an episode about unionization in the video game industry and a story about crunch. And I was working really hard on it, but then I found myself literally crunching like two days before we were supposed to do it. And I was like, I'm not even joking. I was like, I stopped and I was like, what am I fucking doing? Like, the quality is starting to like take a dip. Like, and it was just this massive, ironic. Like meta, yeah, I mean, meta, we would have fired him honestly if and taken his name doing. off of the the. Well, so if, I messaged y'all and I was like, you know what? I want this to be fucking perfect because it's important to me. It's no, a good topic. Yeah. So if the Metacritic score for the episode was under seventy, would have got fired. But if it was <laughs> yes, above ninety, we would have given him a bonus. Oh right, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I decided to switch it up and do probably the most hot buttony hot button episode. It's very just. This is a story of a thing in video games. <laughs> So uh, it won't be as deep and as political as unions, but it is a pretty interesting story and actually far, far deeper than I thought it would be. Let's go deep. Which tends to be... You guys got to stop saying deep. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, tends to be the uh, situation at Hot Button. The Virtual Boy does have a skin uh, on Rob the Robot in the new Smash Brothers, so... Oh, yes. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, so they made it, really. (laughs) Yes. Fun fact, did you know... 
that the Wii U only sold 17 times more than the Virtual Boy? Oh, only. <laughs> only. <laughs> um, so first of all, I'd like to uh, give a shout out to a writer, Benj Edwards, who did an incredible almost book-like story called Unraveling the Enigma of the Virtual Boy 20 years later. And, That's a uh, great if you get name. A chance, <laughs> read that article. It's also incredible. And I'd also like to give a shout out to the autobiography of our main character, which we'll get into. A lot of this stuff comes from that as well. Cool. All right. Howard Lincoln. So <laughs> what is the Virtual Boy? You just said well, it. it's a Valve Index, but 20 years before <laughs> No, besides looking like a charcoal grill from a cyberpunk movie. <laughs> the, that tripod virtual, is great. Yeah. The Virtual Boy was a 32-bit game console created by Nintendo in 1996 and touted as the first console ever capable of stereoscopic 3D. Wait, it came out so, in 96? I thought it was 95. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 95. Oh, yeah, okay. Actually, I, I, I just read that wrong. Uh, oh, wait. No, no. Hold on. I just pulled it. It, it came out in 96 here in North America. Yeah, in America. <laughs> the that, Japanese yeah, were lucky enough guess, to, yeah. to get it like uh, in December yeah. of 95 right before Christmas. <laughs> so, much like the Power Glove and the Wii U, it was a critical success, as we all know. <laughs> I got, and that I'm wearing means, both my power gloves right now. If, if the Virtual Boy's success meant looking like a failed prop for the Blade Runner eye test, <laughs> then it would have actually been successful. Yeah. No, um, it was not received well critically or commercially. And while it's easy to look back now and wonder why the fuck Nintendo would ever release a console that looked like the decapitated head of Rob the Robot's mother on a stand, <laughs> it's it's not easy in the moment to see the whole picture. I, I just want to point why out. He's so angry. I googled Virtual Boy and one of the auto-completes was, can the virtual boy make you blind? So Yes. Uh, that will come up <laughs> quite yeah. a bit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm glad I only played it for, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> so, let's take a walk down failed Nintendo design lane and explore how and why this thing came to be. And somewhere around the middle, we're going to pause so we can get a genuine reaction. We're all going to watch one of the ads for the Nintendo oh, uh, Virtual wait. Boy. I haven't watched it. I only saw clips from it in a video. So I watched the whole thing. I wanted to save it so we can all watch it together. Um, <laughs> oh, so that's a good idea. That is a good idea. All right. So we're going to start way, way back with our main character and an absolute legend of Nintendo and video games as a whole. A man by the name of Yokoi Gunpei or Gunpei. Well, I think it's Gunpei. Wait, Yokoi was, Gunpei. Forgive me for jumping ahead a little bit, but wasn't he also on the Game Boy well, we'll, team? We'll get there. Okay. Hired by Nintendo in 1965 as a maintenance man on the assembly line. Typically, he was working on maintaining the machines that made the Hanafuda cards, which, as most what people probably know from history, is the cards that Nintendo made for ever oh. they, they were a toy company for a long time yeah yeah um, it has to do with like some sort of game like you can play a number of different games with them but it's yeah. kind of like these just like They're pictured like cards japanese yeah. playing cards but they have pictures instead of numbers cool yeah okay um and they can be used for a number of things so mm -hmm. they had machines that made those cards because that's what nintendo did and he was a maintenance man rolled around the plants fixing things here and there handyman kind of guy so one day, when Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi, who we've probably talked about a billion times oh, on yes. the show... I think both these individuals came up on our Tetris episode. Yeah. yeah. He was visiting the plant. Well, Yokoi worked at this plant, and he noticed something. See, Yokoi made a toy for fun in his spare time. I'll send a picture into the Discord, but I'll try to do my best to describe it as okay. well to our audience. Let's see. <laughs> So, what it is, 
is it's got two <laughs> handles and a big zigzag, <laughs> and you close what it. What did Wildy Coyote Oil the, order this yeah. to, to it, take it out extends, And it's kind of like a claw. Like picture those old school like claw oh, toys where you I squeeze one the of these. center. Yeah, and it pushes it together and it grabs something on the end and you open it and it like retracts it. Well, it's very they um, they made as seen on TV versions of this for elderly folk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, this totally the color classic claws toys, you (laughs) know, but a more primitive version of that. It's very Acme Looney Tunes. It works a lot like garden shears where like the handles go in, but instead of a blade, it's like a little claw on the end. Also, I think I said Raid Runner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, video games um, on the mind. Yamauchi immediately demanded that Yokoi make a proper version of this and have it released as a product for the holiday season for Nintendo. And the Ultra Hand, as this product is called, if you want to Google it, was born, and it was wildly successful. This is the fucking claw toy. This guy invented the claw toy. How insane is that? That just blows my mind. Like, this is like one of like, I've, I've, dude, you know how many times I've fucked with claw toys like this in my life? And now I'm finding out this is, here's how it was created. Is there um, a string on this as well? Like, it's. It does seem to be like you can pull it back or maybe grab something with it. I'm not exactly sure how yeah. it works or what the toy is. It seems to come in like a box with some other stuff with it. So he went on to make a couple of other toys. I think there was like some love a meter where he could determine how much a person loved you, and like a few other, like, just like kind of like classical toys. <laughs> that that sounds, the love matic machine from like Mo's bar in the Simpsons. That sounds like a real monkey's paw situation there. <laughs> yeah. um, he also helped make like a puzzle. I think it's called a thousand barrel puzzle or a hundred barrel puzzle. It's like a. It's just like you twist it and shift it. There's like a ball inside that you move around. It's pretty cool. Just hours of fun, really. Yeah. Um, So he was a pretty successful toy maker after this, working for Nintendo. Until, as the company legend goes, one day, Yokoi was on the train, and he was on his way to work, and he witnessed a Japanese salaryman playing with the buttons on an LCD calculator out of boredom. (laughs) And apparently, it all clicked in his head, and this is when he went on to develop... The Game and Watch. Ooh. So Hell if you yeah. don't know what the Game and Watch is, which it's, it's, I, a, it's, I, yeah. a, it's a prototype DS. It's the pro, <laughs> yeah, it's the proto Game Boy. Yeah. Essentially, the Game and Watch is a single game Game Boy that you would buy. But it had those dual screens, like you know, it absolutely the clamshell yeah. design. Uh, yeah. Some had dual screens. Some were just kind of like what single display. Like there was a couple different versions. Yeah, on it. yeah, you're right. Around this time, Yokoi is also credited with being the inventor of the D pad. Oh shit! So. <laughs> Also, another pretty big, yeah. You know, I was gonna say the, gigantic. I guarantee, forward. I guarantee every single person that is listening to this right now has used a D-pad at some point in their life. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. That's at least, important. if not, at least if not for electronics in general, for video games. So he was the second person ever to be on the video games team in Nintendo. There was only one other person, an engineer, and then it came him. He became the head of the famous R&D 1 team at Nintendo. Yes. And if anybody's ever heard of them, I'm sure you have, if you're into the history of Nintendo or any of that stuff. Yokoi went on to produce with that group a number of low-key games. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mario Bros. (laughs) Donkey Kong. Metroid. Until years later. I don't know. That's a little underground. uh, We might have to kind of get deep. (laughs) Where he eventually went on to join back up with the Game & Watch team, where they developed a little thing called the fucking Game Boy. (laughs) Is that what it was called? 
It is the fucking Game Boy. It's by wild. Nintendo. They, they also made uh, a lot of those like first party Game Boy games off the bat, like Mario Land and stuff. Yeah, my favorite Absolutely. was the fucking Game Boy Advance SP. That was. That was <laughs> yeah. So very humble beginnings from a assembly line worker messing around with toys to helping create the most iconic handheld toy of all time. Yeah. Um, Real real American dream over there. Real American dream. (laughs) Yeah. He had a big part to play in the fact that the screen shouldn't be backlit. See, he believed that they should sacrifice the backlights because there were other handheld things that had backlights at Uh, that time. Well, now I take it all back. Fuck him. (laughs) He decided no backlight in exchange for battery life. The Game Boy had extraordinarily more battery life than any other competition. That is true. And that's what helped, if, if any, game, that's what helped make the If game any of you successful. dig out your Game Boys right now, I guarantee if those batteries aren't eroded, this... <laughs> this I don't know where my Game Boy is, working. but my Game Gear, I do know where that is, and that lasts a cool four hours. <laughs> it doesn't... On only six AA batteries. <laughs> so... Oh, no. Nice. I don't know what you you're talking about. You gotta race to beat Sonic the Hedgehog real fast there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's hop across the pond into America. Oh, do we have to? Yeah, let's not. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately we do. Uh. So in America, in the early 80s, Massachusetts company by the name of Reflection Technology Incorporated. From here on out, since they'll be mentioned a hundred billion times, we're going to call them RTI. Okay. So Reflection Technology Incorporated, they had an engineer and their CEO, whose name was Alan Becker. And he also was wondering one day while in transportation, much like Yokoi, he was in the plane and he was wondering how the hell... He can make a small, high-resolution screen for places like airplanes because he seemed to be flying a lot, and it would have been a good idea for him, and he worked for a company that made things like that. (laughs) Interesting. Um, Laptop displays at the time were complete fucking garbage. Have you ever seen a laptop from the late 80s or 90s? They're like absolute relics of technology. Yeah. Obviously, you couldn't fit CRT technology into a small place (laughs) because it's fucking gigantic and dangerous. And good LCD screens, while around, we're still some years off of being smaller and like an actual option. Yeah, probably cheap. Yeah, they were cheap enough. Yeah. Oh, they were not as cheap. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But what was cheap at the time were LEDs. So he decided to take these LEDs and develop an LED eyepiece. And it's called a scanned linear array is what he created. So I'll just say a quote from this. And I looked into it. And I remember I even was uh, talking to Mel. I was like, hey, I want to get this. I understand the words, but my brain's just not grasping the science. (laughs) So I looked into it a little bit deeper than this. But essentially how it works is it consists of a single line array of LEDs that would optically print a persistent image onto a person's retina by changing the pattern of lights that light up by sweeping across the given area. That sounds sounds dangerous. It does sound dangerous, but it's not as dangerous as you think. From what I understand, it works. It seemed to work similar to like, you know how you see a bar sign of like a guy lifting up a mug and it's just like the LEDs light up in different places, giving the illusion that the image is in motion. I think it's a similar concept to that. So it's from like the, there's so shitty like Tiger Telematics games when we were kids. Like it's, yes, yeah. Okay. Um, so instead of moving the LEDs themselves, which would be like require like a big piece of electronics, he decided to move a mirror 
that would oscillate back and forth about right. 50 times a second, and the LEDs would bounce off of that. Or wait, Tiger was, Electronics, I'm sorry. Telematics is the gizmo. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, it, this is pretty incredible tech. It was pretty interesting, very cool for the time. Um, and he used this tech, and with the company RTI, they built something called the Private Eye, which is an incredible name cool. for this product. Um, <laughs> it was a one-inch display that would simulate a 12-inch display from 18 inches away. Was, so, it, was it both eyes or was it one eye? It was one eye. Okay. Huh. And, of course, because it was the 80s, um, <laughs> they envisioned this device to be attached to everyone like those DBZ scanners. Um, <laughs> they had just all these grand yeah, technology <laughs> uh, things with it. Quote, Neil Golden and Steve Lipsy, who I've never uh, learned who Neil Golden is. It's kind of hard to find LinkedIn for guys who are businessmen and tech companies in the 80s. Um, <laughs> however, Steve Lipsy was one of the marketing guys there. So Neil Golden and Steve Lipsy worked up sales literature that described scenarios like doctors checking vital signs or MRI scans with the private eye during surgery and aircraft technicians referencing technical manuals as they lay on their back, hands clutching greasy tools. Jeez, oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> so this was clearly some 80s imagination tech, you know? Yeah. We got a screen, we made it so you can simulate a big screen in your eye. Like, this is going to be fucking the future. This is some cyberpunk shit for sure. <laughs> and we're not talking, obviously, about high-resolution displays. We're talking about images that LED could create in this sort of, you know, simplistic manner. <laughs> so after selling some kits at some trade shows and shopping around at every company imaginable for a few years, the tech wasn't actually getting too much traction, much like everything from this time in this manner. It was very cool to play around with, but it never made it past like people being like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> All right. Nah, I'm yeah, he apparently like tried to to like pawn this off to like Mattel, Hasbro. It wasn't at some point Sega even like like I don't. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> That's crazy. So um, it never really landed on functional use, but they went to Mattel and they went to also Hasbro. Mattel was actually interested for a little while. They had like back and forths, but they eventually were just like, no, we're not really interested. Uh, uh, and we'll get into what Sega's response was in a moment. Okay, I think but Has first didn't Hasbro buy Mattel at some point. I've yes. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Nice. So first, we're going to enter the VR craze of oh. the 1990s. <laughs> if you were around in this time on in tech or television or instant at all, like you just the fucking ads for VR stuff in the 90s. I actually sent one. I don't know if you guys watched that weird conference yes. thing I sent. <laughs> this with that weird asshole who's like being very mean to an old man about VR. Maybe we can post that somewhere. Everyone from Sega to NASA was working on VR. I'm sure if you remember, NASA had that glove set with the weird it looked like um some shit literally out of cyberpunk like a square metal thing that went in front of your face it, it was wild look it up oh, um geez. <laughs> everyone's thinking about all the potential you could have by going into virtual reality worlds and all this cool thing we could do even during this time there was a stephen king movie called lawnmower man that came out <laughs> yes. i don't know if you've starring seen uh james bond's own <laughs> yeah. pierce brosnan <laughs> just to give you a little uh synopsis quote Dr. Lawrence Angelo works for Virtual Space Industries and runs experiments using psychoactive drugs and virtual reality to enhance the cognitive performance of chimpanzees. 
So we want to go from there on uh, how that movie goes. How do you think that? How do you think that ages, especially the CGI? And just oh, probably not. <laughs> Turns out Stephen King actually sued to have his name removed from the fucking uh, yeah. movie, and he won, and they removed it. I, I heard this apparently on a, it devolved from his book. I heard you know? this on a on a movie podcast not that long ago. So we were getting into an argument me and you also with Dave about that, yeah. about whether or not because I I think when it came out on VHS that was post lawsuit where they yeah. had to remove that stuff from it yeah man that's funny yeah, that's wild even <laughs> if Stephen King doesn't even like your shitty movie you know <laughs> you know it's not really good because there are some shitty Stephen King movies <laughs> so what did the engineers of RTI do well they were like let's get in on this obviously oh, of uh, we have some tech that could probably uh, get involved so what they did was attach a very early head tracking device which, you know, we all know what that is now, you know, move your head left, right. It kind of measures your location in space. And they mocked up a game where you were inside of a tank, like shooting at other tanks. <laughs> and since it was the 90s in America, it was in the fucking desert shooting at tanks and pyramids and shit because we're horrible. We've remade um, that game many times. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, why was that an early days like showcase? Well, I mean, when the yeah. Gulf War was <laughs> like right, yeah, like this that. was almost like peak Gulf War. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. and they essentially had created one of the most earliest, cheapest, functional VR headset video games at this point, and with relatively little to no press whatsoever and no attention, and it's kind of the same point keeps coming up over and over again. And to me, it's like hilariously ironic is that. Everybody's opinion on VR games, even in the 80s and 90s, was, oh, this is cool. So anyway. Oh, like, so like VR now. <laughs> exactly. It is, it's hilarious. Yeah. Like every time there's a craze, it comes up like, holy shit, this is the future of gaming. This is cool. Goodbye. See you in 20 years. No, Try again. Yeah, no, 3D TVs are really going to hit it. Yeah. I'm <laughs> All right, so now they moved on to shopping around this new implementation of their tech. Um, they're Ooh. making a bunch of sales calls, and apparently uh, one of these little tiny snippets I found. Do you guys know who Timothy Leary is? Sounds familiar. He's, um, oh, yeah. he's a famous doctor and psychologist who was like super, super into like drug advocacy and psychedelic drugs and expanding the human mind and all cool. that sort of stuff. Right. Um, he even got into it with him about this. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> quote, he was, of course, very interested in anything that would take you to another place, said Lipsy. Leary was impressed by Reflection's far-out virtual reality tank game. It was a drug-free <laughs> way to expand his consciousness. <laughs> Is this tank game still uh, out there? Far like, out. Any footage of the, like... I'm not sure. Yeah. I looked around a little bit. Maybe um, it. Seemed, How do you get footage of a game uh, that projects into your right. eye? It's yeah. probably completely lost uh, yeah. to time. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there is some somebody like kind of described it as like being like very wireframe like. My right. picture kind of like like a battle like zone that Futurama was... episode where they go into like the Tron kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like I always picture like that. So. With all the other companies still being out, and surprisingly for once, Sega even was out and said it was a bad idea, which at the time, if you know anything, Sega was amazing at denying incredible opportunities. Yeah, for more so, on that, listen to our, our two-parter. <laughs> yeah, but for once, they were right on denying this opportunity. I guess so. Yeah. It suffered from... 
classic motion sickness VR sort of thing. Right. Which I, as like messing around with PSVR a lot lately, there are some games where it's really bad. I've actually never gotten motion sickness once from playing Super Hot, and I think that's because it's no, low. Yeah. Like the the texture makes it so it's easily you know it's easier to be immersed. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there's less blurriness, I, less confusion. I, I'm, like I'm pretty susceptible to motion sickness, and the only VR games that have ever given me that feeling were spaceship games where you're like flipping around. I uh, Austin, what game was it we played? E Valkyrie. E Valkyrie. That that made me sick. Yeah. And, and have you messed around? It's uh, by you design. The Iron but, Man VR demo. No, I uh, haven't. I didn't even know there was that. That will give you a little bit of motion sickness in the beginning. But it's it's fucking amazing. It's honestly the coolest VR game I've ever played in my life. So Shit. I do highly recommend it. Right, it's uh, very cool out. to feel like when you're like flying and you get like you use the move controllers to, like as if you were steering like the hands oh, and man. the suit. It's really I cool. I didn't know there was a demo of that. Okay. So they had one last powerful connection up their sleeve, and they decided to come pitch this technology to Nintendo hey. in Japan, where eventually this tech came across the desk of Yokoi Gunpei. Right on. So we're going to talk a little bit about something about Nintendo's philosophy in general, but more specifically, Yokoi's philosophy. They called this, at the time, lateral thinking of withered technology. Now, it has its own <laughs> incredible... It has its own incredible Japanese phrase, and it's one of those classic Japanese things where it's like this okay. amazing phrase that and has it just this giant tra- thing behind it. It didn't translate the same. Even I lateral guess. thinking of wither technology or lateral thinking with seasoned technology. So both of those things are kind of like a similar thing. Right. So basically, the idea is this: instead of finding crazy new ways to expand and grow and develop cutting edge technology, take technology that exists today that is out there in big numbers and find ways to make it fun now if that isn't the most fucking nintendo shit absolutely ever heard in your life i don't know what i mean is. reggie has the famous quote right where he was saying like hey if it's not fun then to him like that is nintendo stance on just what video gaming means absolutely well, like, yeah. this is one of the reasons that the which i'm i have some opinions about that but by and large i, I get it that that's what they do yeah absolutely <laughs> this helped push the development of the game and watch actually because they right. thought this. What's going on? Right now, Sharp and Casio are battling for the digital calculator market. And because of that, there were shitloads of liquid crystal displays and semiconductors. <laughs> so Nintendo was like, what can we do with those? Boom, Game & Watch. They took <laughs> something that was saturated in the market and used it to make something fun. You're telling me that- Texas Instruments wasn't over? <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of philosophy has been carried on in Nintendo for its entire life for better or for worse absolutely yeah by the way side note as somebody who recently got into building guitar pedals texas instrument made all of those semiconductors and no shit really they make fucking everything like all the little parts of everything you own is made by like one of three companies and one of them is texas instruments (laughs) Mm -hmm. so to get a little bit into yokoi himself at this point in his life he was kind of in a unique place in his career His autobiography said that he felt out of place in the industry in the 90s. Hmm. This is a man whose heyday was, you know, I mean, granted, Game Boy came out, what, 89, right? Yes. So it's kind of like the tail end. So he felt out of place in the mid to later 90s. His personal opinion was that the home console market was turning into some sort of tech arms race for graphic superiority, (laughs) and it was at the expense of gameplay. 
<laughs> and it Sorry, is, there, it there's, is too many, there's too many jokes. Just move Bass on. It's so <laughs> emblematic of modern Nintendo. You cannot bring it up. <laughs> well, literally, here's my. I'll read you my exact line here. He thought home console market was turning into Texas Arm Race for graphics at the expense of gameplay, and the games were going towards our hardcore fan base instead of a wider, more core audience. Perfect fit for Nintendo. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Crisis is coming to the Switch. So. <laughs> Play. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that. Goes. Has anybody <laughs> ever actually played Overwatch on the Switch? Does it look like anything? Or I, The Witcher I, Three? I, I almost thought about buying it just to, to. I can't imagine the control method, yeah, the fidelity on those sticks, second to none for a competitive online first person shooter. I will, I will shooter. say this: I played <laughs> Fortnite on the Switch. You said it was worse than playing it on a phone. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know when you you know yeah. when you watch a YouTube video and your internet isn't doing too hot. Boy, do I ever! And everything looks all blocky and pixelated yeah. because it's all compressed. That's what Fortnite looks like on the Switch. Uh, how often? All the time. The oh. whole time you're playing <laughs> okay. it. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the entire time. Oh. Boy. So uh, he had to, he was also feeling disenchanted, which is the craziest thing, by Nintendo's bureaucracy because Nintendo had become a larger company. And they got a little bit more bureaucratic about the invention process, and he was like, I'm from, like, the heyday of engineers and build Nintendo up, you know, in the video game world. Like, he wasn't feeling like he had the same freedom as he used to. Mm. Yeah. I made one of those hats that you pull the string and it claps, <laughs> and they're just like, fuck <laughs> off back to the assembly line, nerd. <laughs> like, kick him. <laughs> He had uh, planned on retiring at 50. He made an announcement. I'm going to retire at 50. I'm going to move on for Nintendo. I'm going to make my own company so I can have more control over the invention process. Cool. Not uncommon for toys, engineers, or video game engineers, or engineers in general in this sort of industry. So, he was 49 at the time that the private eye technology came across his desk, and he was like, oh, shit. This could be a way for Nintendo to do something new and fun. He thought that this could bolster Nintendo's rep as innovators. You know, they had been innovators for years and years and years. Yeah. And he's like, hey, this could be something potentially new. We could revolutionize gaming again. And honestly, it'd be kind of a difficult thing to copy because everybody was out there trying to make this sort of VR tech. And he was like, we have a nice line on this. Everybody else seems to be denying it. Let's let's do something here. He saw the potential in this VR gaming that literally everybody has since the birth of VR gaming. Yeah. He got swept up in the idea that this is the future. This can be something unique. This can be something special, something beyond just a gimmick. Or if it even was a gimmick, it could be a fun gimmick because that's kind of Nintendo's shtick. Yeah, that's that's their MO. (laughs) So the deal just needed to get approved by the Nintendo board. Steve Lipsy came over to Japan and they gave their usual demonstration with slideshows and all sorts of stuff. Were there graphs there? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the meeting, Lipsy said he heard a thud on the table and then saw Nintendo chairman Hiroshi Yamauchi, quote, his head fell on his hand on the table and he was sound asleep. <laughs> Everybody else was just sitting there, nobody doing anything. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
So they finish the meeting. Lipsy's pissed. He's there with a guy named Jack Plimpton, who was a liaison between American companies and Japanese companies. So he was like a translator and kind of set up the meeting and everything. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I wasted a fucking trip to Japan. Thanks a lot, dickhead. And then they're like, no, that was amazing. Quote, in Japanese business, that was the senior guy sending a message to his underlings that they could proceed. They didn't need for him to be involved anymore. The project (laughs) is a go. Is that what that means? I spent about an hour and a half trying to find look into this. So it is apparently a thing for senior members of Japanese companies to sleep at meetings. It's almost like a get, respect flex. Get the fuck like, out of here. Okay. It's like a trust that, thing of just like... Yeah, well, not even just a trust thing, but like I said, it's like I've read over and over that if you usually see somebody sleeping in a meeting at like from a Japanese company, it's usually the most senior official there. Like, it's just like... Man, that's a culture shock when you think of how yeah, that, that would be seen here. Yeah, Absolutely. And I've heard that before. It's not the first time I've heard that. That's why I was like, I gotta look into this. Like, what what the fuck is with this? <laughs> huh. So, Nintendo approves, and they're about to make their first big stake into the Virtual Boy. They hey. pay advanced royalties to RTI of $10 million, and they buy a stake in RTI themselves. Hmm. So RTI, a small Boston tech company, goes, holy shit, we just signed a deal with Nintendo. <laughs> RTI thought, fuck, this is this is our chance to make it big. Like, we're going to have tech in a Nintendo video game console. Yeah. Like, that's kind of a big deal, especially at this time when Nintendo was throwing out, you know, incredible consoles left and right. <laughs> game Boy, Famicom, Super Famicom, all this stuff. So yeah, they're they on top of the up. world at this point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, RTI staffed up and they started working on new projects, like namely one that I found called Fax View, which is okay. a tiny device. Hell yeah, that's like that thing in Back to the Future Two. You talking about a viewfinder? What do you? And um, it's ba- t- and Back to the Future Two when he get when he goes, you're fired, and then the fax machine prints out a thing that says you're fired. <laughs> But no, this is like a tiny black like box that has a one inch display and you receive faxes to it and then you just look into it like kind of like like so yeah like a viewfinder yeah yes like a viewfinder you hold it up to your eye and you can view the faxes (laughs) yeah that that, that one's the one that says you're fired if if that's not a product of its fucking time i don't know what is holy shit shit. right jesus Look up pictures of the fax view because there's like ads and shit. I could, I'll send you one if you can't. I find was gonna it. say, hold on, I'll look it right up. now. Oh, I spelled fax wrong. You think it would be fax with an X? Yeah, but I spelled it with a C. <laughs> I'm only getting ads for Microsoft Office. Oh, there it is. Wait, let me see. Yeah, it looks like a fucking beeper. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a little black, like, like uh, oval shaped device. Yeah. Can you imagine just being a businessman on the street and you're like, oh, hold on. Hold on, I got a fax. Uh, and, and you pull out your um your pouch that's carrying like a holster, like a beeper, and a fax view. Fuck. <laughs> well, the development of the project begins under the code name VR32. Oh, and for bit. The, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> right? Um, for the workers at RTI, they're participating in designing the screens with a subcontracted Japanese company, and they were told to call it the Dragon Project, which seems a little racist to me, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, we'll just no, leave it. Uh, very racist, actually, <laughs> I think. Yokoi was excited. 
And, of course, his first intention was to implement this awesome-ass head-tracking software that RTI had used in their tank demo. Yeah. His goal was to design a pair of goggles that you could put on and walk around with and play a game. So, of course, who wouldn't want that? I was going to say, they wanted it to be portable at this point. Like, yeah. But there were difficulties with that from the get-go. couple things. Number one. The engineers were worried about the proximity of the chips to the user's head. Because at the time, <laughs> okay. there actually weren't many tests about how EMF radiation generated by those high radio emissions in those chips <laughs> would affect your brain. I mean, it's even still up for debate today about what cell phones do to your head if you hold them next to them, you know? <laughs> so, like, at the time, they were like, we don't know if we should put these chips next to people's brains. Uh, we're all dead. Um, so that fact meant that they had to put a small metal plate between the CPU and where the user's head would be, and this made it way too heavy to wear. <laughs> Dispel the cancer uh, razor, whatever. Yeah, yeah they've, they put a lead plate in instead. <laughs> <laughs> they also had to put the plates in because the chips were actually causing interference in the visual displays as well. It's like a so 55-pound cell phone. Just yeah. Like- Even if they didn't cause EMF radiation, they'd have to keep the plates in regardless. (laughs) So it was too heavy to wear. Like, they just couldn't do it. So they scrapped that idea already, and they moved on with a newly designed, quote, a clumsy shoulder stand design. Which I can only imagine looking like some sort of 1800 steampunk, like, diving device. Yeah, just like the Mad Max thing. I imagine it looking like, you know that thing... Where like when people break their neck and they put them in that thing oh, that yes. their head yeah, the yes. with all the the, the rods on it. Oh, yeah. Thank fuck you said that because I'm trying to. I'm, when I was writing this, I was like, what can I imagine this looking like? Yeah. I first thought like you know like this this not a stinger. I think it's like a something missile from Call of Duty. It's like it looks like it's got the big foam box in it, and you it the missiles hit down from the top. The javelin warfare javelin. Uh, yeah, yes. the javelin. I picture it looking like a javelin <laughs> launcher. Like yeah. holds it up. Now they call it the Joker, and it confuses me. Yeah, so this didn't fly with Nintendo either. No. Um, because the legal department just kept imagining kids falling down the steps <laughs> while playing this. <laughs> Which I couldn't stop laughing. That was fucked up. Yeah, you, yeah, your kid, your kid fell down the stairs, also he has cancer. From- <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the metal like, plate that was supposed to protect his head popped out and stabbed him. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're not too far off from what some of the people at Nintendo are imagining, because uh, one of the engineers at RTI, Ben Wells, said there was a scenario where the Nintendo legal department imagined a child playing with the VR32 when the car gets into a car accident. Oh my god. And this was one of the, I know, and he was like, that's horrible. That, that's the thing they so, thought about. Oof. Yeah, but that's Nintendo. They don't want that shit happening. Sure. So all of this resulted in what you see in the final product. So I know we're already 50 minutes in, but for the first time, let's describe what the Virtual Boy actually looks like. Yeah, like like the desktop thing. You need to Google a picture of it to really understand because it's hard to describe. I think I literally said it best in the beginning. It looks like a charcoal grill from a cyberpunk movie. It really (laughs) does. It's an eyepiece that kind of looked like Rob the Robot's head. And you would sit it on your desk, yeah. and the controller plugged into it, and the power to the wall actually came through the controller. Yes. But it was also battery-operated, too. You could put batteries in oh, the controller. Shit, That's where the power came from. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. Maybe there is some more 
portability than I thought. And you would lean into it. That's how you would play. You would lead into yeah. it, like looking I, into it, it. It was play. on this weird little funky kind of stand. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's like a tripod. Is I don't it a know. tripod or a bipod? Yeah, like I think I said it's tripod. A, I think it's a tripod, a bipod. Okay. but I can't think of anything that like normal people would use. It looks like a, it looks like the stands for like lights that you use for film, or like a tripod for a camera, yeah, I, or I, I, yeah. uh, well, what's the um, or like a mic stand? It almost looks like that attached to one of those like things you put a quarter in and look over the Grand Canyon on. But oh yeah, not, like, <laughs> except <laughs> except it looked like you said it looks like Rob the Robot's yeah, had like a viewfinder say, on stilts. It like, looks like a viewfinder on a tripod. Yeah, um, with with, with a like a weird fucked up controller. Yeah, a controller like I actually, like this it, controller. It, it's kind of cool, but it does have two D pads and no joystick, which is very. It does weird. apparently a bunch of people like saying like this is a super comfy controller. Like I can see it; it actually looks like it would be. Like it, it's the really handles long almost and look like the GameCube can uh, like yeah. kind of design. Oh, then you know it's bad. Fuck yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, this design was actually like a hundred percent more stationary than they had ever imagined. <laughs> yeah, and it couldn't even benefit from a better chipset now because you're thinking, oh, fuck it, it's on the table now. We can put a better chipset in. We right. can give it graphics similar to the N64. That's right. This is not <laughs> the fucking some weird '80s Nintendo gimmick. Right now, while this is being made, the N64 is a development. <laughs> yeah, and they're putting everything into that because that's it's like yes. there, there's no box for this. Like you mentioned, it, it's literally like it's all built into the headset. It's all built into uh, it. You plug yeah. the games into the red part that you look into. Yeah, yeah. So basically, what happened? That Nintendo was so invested in the infrastructure of the chips, they had even built a new factory in China to assemble the Virtual Boy. And on top of that... <laughs> you know, the country that couldn't even buy the console once it was out. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, they couldn't add a new chipset because they had invested in building these like a specific kind of silicon chip, but it was all embedded hardware, and it was battery-powered. Which I had to look up what embedded hardware means. If you don't know, if you're an idiot like me, it just means all the fancy parts are on one board instead of being separate boards. Mm -hmm. I guess it saves space and makes things more condensed. Mm -hmm. And the machine was also battery-powered. Powered. And all of this resulted in the fact that the console was far too weak to produce anything yeah. aside from layers of 2D sprites that would and flicker. basic <laughs> wireframe environments. Yeah, that that monochrome, like every game had to follow that. Yeah, like, I haven't yeah. described that yet. <laughs> the fact that this console, if you don't know what a Virtual Boy game looks like, you know how the Game Boy was like greenish and black yeah. and that was how it was monochrome greenish and <laughs> imagine black imagine that but red <laughs> but bright red yeah it yeah is, it's a it's, harsh red like it's <laughs> jarring yeah and it's bizarre because when we think of video games in low res content we think of black and white we think of that pale green with the black and white yeah you don't think of bright fucking red and black but the reason they chose red and black is because Apparently, with red and black, you could have a really deep darkness, and it involved something about with the LEDs, too. You could get a much crisper image with the red, so it resulted in much higher quality images, but it okay. also resulted in the whole thing being fucking red and black. So, <laughs> Did that drive up price? Like, I mean, like, I, I'm curious. No, it actually drove down Joe price. Down price, okay. Yeah. Cause it's it's just funny because I like, yeah, it just, you can, people have captured footage from those now, and man, just... 
<laughs> it's rough. It looks like yeah. shit. It does not look like the console is about to come out in 1995. That's for sure. It looks like it came out in 1979. It really, yeah. That's a good way to describe it. I, I mean, yeah. I wonder if was that also would that like grit your eyes less than. Well, we'll get to how it actually affected your eyes okay. uh, in a minute. <laughs> so as I described earlier, Yokoi had this taste of Nintendo's to, development process. I just want to know if there's another version of this that just instantaneously makes you go blind. Like, <laughs> oh, this is cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like you're looking at an Elder Scroll or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Nintendo's development process wasn't really helping Yokoi's disenchantment with their development process. Yeah, I um, guess not. Regardless of the validity of the legal department, concerns he was still having doubts about how this was going to turn out and at this point he wasn't alone the further and further along the vr32 went in development the more people were like wait what the fuck is going on here (laughs) with concern in japan the story was much different back across the pond back in america they were still feeling confident (laughs) <laughs> last thing that RTI had heard was that marketing landed on a name the Virtual Boy as in virtual reality and boy yeah, as in they're, they're Game pl- Boy they're playing as in the they're trying boy, to compare yeah. it to the fucking Game Boy <laughs> well because it was it's like I said it was supposed to be portable yeah this was also the fact apparently there was a comment tossed around that this was supposed to be Nintendo's fourth product you know, Famicom, Game Boy, Super Famicom, <laughs> Virtual Boy. <laughs> oh, the American retrospect. Ar- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Naming it the Virtual Boy gave it this gigantic shadow it had to escape in marketing. Because everybody's like, oh, you know, like the Game Boy, right? Yeah, the Virtual Boy. That's fucking cool. <laughs> well, my RTI was still getting all excited and going, holy shit, this is awesome. We got tech and this cool new... This is going to be Nintendo's <laughs> biggest seller yet. Back in Japan, they were like, this is going to be fucked up, dude. We don't know what the fuck is going on. And yeah, meanwhile, also, the N64 is, like, getting ready. Yeah. Yeah. And in Japan, they were also waiting on official results of whether or not the display created by RTI was actually harmful to your vision. Oh, details, details. That's so, Nintendo hired a doctor from the Shepin's Eye Research Institute in Boston. Um, because RTI was in Massachusetts so they were like we'll just hire a guy in Boston they hired a doctor by the name of Eli Pelli when he gets the the results he doesn't have to send them a fax view or whatever he can just walk down (laughs) (laughs) there's a bunch of people in a Nintendo boardroom all just like staring into a telescope looking beeper thing yeah and then the update says oh it makes you go blind (laughs) (laughs) and then they're like fuck it's in this too and then they throw it out the window and they're all blind Yeah. yeah. yeah they're all pirates at that point (laughs) Um, So he couldn't share the official results publicly because of an NDA with Nintendo. But from what did come out, it was determined that the tech was essentially harmless to your eyesight. Okay. With one exception. Oh. Apparently, children with optic systems that were still in development, which is usually around five to seven years old, could, quote, develop a lazy eye if the two displays were misaligned vertically. Oh, yeah. yeah, I wonder. I wonder if they ran through similar stuff with the 3DS. No, like, the 3DS did. That's why the 2DS came out because you weren't allowed to play it if you were oh, under yeah, seven years old. I think there was a uh, a splash screen that says that mm-hmm. when you put up the 3DS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Huh. And that'll also come from something that's about I'm about to mention now. So because of that, that they couldn't risk the mirrors being misaligned vertically. Nintendo encased them in hard plastic and then a steel frame. Oh yeah. To, to Don't keep fuck that from with happening. this. Yeah. But to err on the safe side and to be in compliance with a brand new 
new law in Japan called the Product Liability Act. All companies are responsible for all accidents caused by the use of their products. Mm. Which that'd be dope if America oh, it'd be had nice, that. wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. As a result, Japanese companies have to fill their products with manuals. Apparently, there was an example of somebody having a manual for a microwave that said you can't dry your cat in the microwave. Jesus, because like, uh, they have to like <laughs> fill it with almost every possible scenario they can think of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, somebody had to have. I'm pretty sure that law is probably the reason why the Wii has all those warnings before every game. Yeah, yeah. small we, we price to pay up, uh, for GameCube fucking liability it, for yeah. companies. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So Nintendo still included to err on the safe side, as I said. A packet that came with it that included several warnings and warnings all over the packaging. <laughs> that and I'm sure manual- everybody looked at, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the manual was basically a huge book of do nots. And it all stated that kids under seven shouldn't use it. Okay. So that's where probably where that Don't put it in the microwave. Well, yes, goes. I mean, it's it's... It's funny that Nintendo would do this multiple times throughout their their history of of releasing products because they've always kind of had the initiative to be like, hey, we want this to have the widest appeal possible. Like precisely, which is interesting that they cut out under seven because it's kind of like that's a big, uh, yeah, big bulk big of market for uh, yeah, their demographic. Yeah. yeah, they also included automatic warnings that were built in on a timer. That would tell the user to rest their eyes every 15 minutes. <laughs> I think Kind of like how the Wii would yeah, tell you the to Wii go too. outside or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's such a physical activity. Like, <laughs> Well, fucking waggle your I know wrist. it sounds like we're back in the 80s, but time to remind you again that the Saturn and the PS1 were released in the early 90s. <laughs> and the N64 was not expected to release until 96. So the Virtual Boy began to feel some pressure from the higher-ups in Nintendo. Mm. It was more obvious than ever that the Virtual Boy would never stand up to the Famicom or the Game Boy's success. Mm. But the marketing department was now seeing it as, hey, maybe we can use this to fill a market gap until the N64 is released. Okay. So this provided even more pressure to launch. And this obviously caused a bunch of tension and stress in the development team. And on top of that, Yokoi was now told to, quote, de-emphasize Mario on the system as the character was slated to make his big 3D debut on the Ultra 64. Right. First, I mean, there were some Mario games on that. I mean, like the tennis and stuff. Eventually, but- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Quote, at first, I had a large list of titles like Mario Clash, which is a Virtual Boy game, but I was told not to release that kind of stuff. I guess it was an issue of disagreement on how to present the product. For me, it was the perfect game for our target users. But within the company, a lot of people strongly felt that the Virtual Boy would only appeal to a certain crowd of diehard players. That's so funny. Like, yeah, no, every game is going to look like Mario in it. (laughs) Yeah, no, every game is going to look like Star Fox covered in blood. Like, it's just like, what? (laughs) So, obviously, this happens in business, but this is the first kind of big blow, besides the fact that the tech is kind of, you know, gimmicky and very cheap, the next big blow is that even Nintendo was like, all right, rush it out. We're going to use it to fill a market gap. It's just a general toy. (laughs) Don't put a Mario Mario on it. it. (laughs) (laughs) So this left the team with concepts that they had to develop internally. But they also had a subcontractor to work with called Intelligent Systems, who you might know yeah. that they the helped advan- design the OG yeah. Metroid. Yeah. yeah, that's the uh, Advanced Force Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem people. Yeah. Project yep. Steam. 
Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> totally. They, they, they originated yeah. as a subcontractor for R and D one, and they helped work on Metroid and some oh. other. Their stuff. name makes a lot more sense in that uh, knowing that. <laughs> no, yeah. Now that I know they worked on the Virtual Boy, the name Intelligent Systems makes. Oh, a lot I didn't of mean sense. that. I, I more meant like the. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you meant. The way that reads. It's, oh, it's an ironic name. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they ended up making the first Virtual Boy game called Space Pinball, which like you the, can look up pictures of. Like the Microsoft game? <laughs> Space Pinball became the showcase game at trade shows. That's what they and got, huh? Right. As soon as this came out, this made RTI incredibly nervous. <laughs> they were like, Wait, this is what you like? Wait, what? Virtual Boy Fourth Console? Wait, what? You now you have Space Pinball and oh, yeah. Wireframe Red. Like, yeah, like, meanwhile, you see what's on the PlayStation and the N sixty four. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, one of the engineers was like, "Yeah, I put on the headset and it was cool to play for a moment, but then I was like, all right, back to work." Like. <laughs> He, he was like, this was nothing like the tank game we created. Like, we wanted something like that. Oh, like, what man. is this? So that nervous and cautious mentality carried over to the public as well. The Virtual Boy was first shown in Japan on November 15th, 94, at Shoshinkai Software Exhibition. And you could play Space Pinball, and they had a Tellero Boxer, which was another game they had out mm-hmm. for it. All the greatest hits. <laughs> and two months later, it was shown at Winter CES, and the reactions of both were pretty similar. There was confusion over the shape and design, the fact that it was a table-mounted device that you leaned into. People were like, oh, shit, this is pretty cool. Stereoscopic 3D is very... <laughs> Chris, oh, that's I, cool. Chris, you I keep thinking about what you said where it's like, if, if, if seeing this at a tech show in the, in the late 70s or early 80s, people would have fucking lost their minds. Yes, it's just absolutely. like the mid-90s. Like, what the hell is this? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like almost like people are looking at it like, oh, this is cool. I like the stereoscopic 3D. Like, it's almost like it's cool. Like, it's almost like seeing a horse on the side of the road. You're like, oh, sick, a horse. <laughs> yeah, anyway, where do you want to get drunk? Like, it's not, no, like, they're not, like, people aren't really grasping it. And yeah. most people are confused by the all red display. They're like, all right, but what's with that red? Like, yeah. that's. <laughs> So the issue was really that nobody in the major media really had anything good or bad to say about it. Mm. They kind of didn't say anything at all about it. A lot of the smaller internet forum groups were pretty enraged. They were like, "What the fuck is this?" But and, um, yeah, and the, it's bold. Like it has Nintendo's name on it. Like yeah, yeah. absolutely. You could tell the more hardcore like uh, game kind of critics and fans of the time who were in smaller communities were like kind of seeing the writing on the wall with this, but nobody else really cared about it because, of course, this is 94. What is this? PlayStation 1 and all that era. So there's a lot of bigger stuff and games happening. Totally. But there was a little bit of renewed confidence in RTI. Alan Becker, the owner of RTI, they shared space with Nintendo at CES that year. And Nintendo publicly announced that they had a partnership with RTI. So he's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, once again, I'm feeling a renewed sense of seriousness about this. All right. So let's pause for a second and watch this. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. I want to bring it up on the computer. I kind of, oh my God. All right. I'm, I'm just going to, I already can tell this is going to be great. So I'm just going to play it into the mic. It came from the third dimension. <laughs> With its own brain. 
Oh my god, what is the predator vision? <laughs> is it taking over the world? It's got like fucking yeah, legs. <laughs> this like short circuit fuck It needs your eyes. <laughs> Virtual boy, see it now in 3D. Play it loud. That was their tag. Okay, so I assume it kills you. Is that what the is that what the ad was trying to tell me? <laughs> so for, for people who haven't watched it, which I suggest just googling Virtual Boy ad and watching the thirty second one, it appears that the Virtual Boy stands up and has some sort of big mechanical legs in some weird post apocalyptic wasteland and shoots people. Yeah, in the in the setting of like when the ever the, the first couple Terminator movies show you what the yeah <laughs> yeah it looks like that, and then it sucks some sort of wildling person in with its controller cord and forces them to look at VR. So if you saw that fucking ad, you can only imagine what the gameplay would look like. Did, would you picture it being red wireframe well, well, Mario Tennis? I, I noticed in this in this short circuit ATST fucking ad that there's no gameplay in that commercial whatsoever. They're like they're well, here's the thing. leaning into that. You can't show what gameplay looks like with stereoscopic. 3D oh, good point. How do they capture any the of commercial. that? Commercial. Yeah. So how right. do they market it? This ad is the most clear example. That Nintendo had no fucking idea what how to, to market do. this thing. Yeah. They geared it towards older players instead of a classic younger base, which they should have because all the games looked like six-year-olds would play them. And if you're young, it'll give you a lazy eye. Or and what? on top of that, <laughs> they said that it was the evolution of gaming and VR is the future. They focused on the system being virtual reality and talked about the tech instead of showing or focusing on any of the games. That's the funny thing. like The, the use of the word virtual reality it's like when I was young, that was like compared to like how that phrase is used now. You know, it's just I don't know. Yeah. It's just it's like none of this is actually VR. I mean, no, it's, it's not, the, and that's why like people were upset about it. Yeah, your reality's not what red wireframe <laughs> is. That what you see? <laughs> that's what I see everything in. He's <laughs> like the worst version of the Matrix One. Like that's what Allison sees. <laughs> it has all the green tint on. <laughs> So this trouble with marketing and this weird sort of idea to go like, yeah, it's VR, just just even gave more trouble. <laughs> then there was a big hit. As it was coming up to its release, the media in Japan decided to run with a sensationalized story about how it could affect your eyesight poorly. They talked about how all these eyesight warnings and all these can't play it under seven was going to damage its users eyes and that nobody should play it or it they should preserve caution apparently yeah. i looked into this like the article i was reading said that japan had a bit of a negative connotation towards games in the mid 90s um i couldn't find anything that said that for sure but i don't know enough about gaming in Japan in the 90s Weird. to know if that's true or not. Like, it, was it, I mean, we were fighting the, the violence war in this era, but like with them, was it more of an ad addiction thing or a productivity not, thing? I have, I have no yeah, idea. Like I'd they, be interested in looking into that a little bit more. It seemed yeah. like it could be a cool thread to pull. It's like, the, it's like rock music in the 50s. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It's created by the devil. I mean, this thing looks like the, the devil. Drugs and sex. <laughs> <laughs> it is the devil. I killed that lady. You saw the ad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it did. Yeah. It threw her off a cliff. Right? Uh, yeah. 
So on July 21st, I actually just have two ST. So I'm assuming it's the 21st. I guess I missed a one here in my script. On July 21st, 95, the Virtual Boy was released in Japan. And unlike its boy brothers before it, there were no excited crowds, no lines in the street, nobody yeah. coming to say, I, I, Huzzah, <laughs> give me a Virtual Boy. I'd like to point out that I, like, as I guess I was fucking two years old maybe or one year like I, I my dad took me and my brother to like a midnight lunch for the Super Nintendo at like a Toys R Us and, oh, that's awesome. uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know if that was happening this go around. <laughs> no, there were yeah. no midnight releases of no, Toys R Us yeah. for the Virtual Boy. And those lines uh, were not. Uh, there were no tents on and the sidewalk <laughs> for this. Thing. In America, one month later. Surprisingly, they didn't sensationalize anything in the media, <laughs> which is shocking for once. It was released again. Okay. And over here, so it, it was, was initially, yeah. It was initially looking okay. All right. It had 179.95 was how much it costs. Okay, that says roughly $300 by Yeah. Uh, like well that yeah, that says as of 2018, but It even initially outsold the Saturn but if you remember from our Sega episodes, the Saturn in America outselling that wasn't exactly a huge feat in the American Considering markets. how they fucking <laughs> launched that thing. Really, yeah. Really, yeah. It's the Nintendo weirdest release Nintendo even ever. partnered with Blockbuster to rent out Virtual Boys for 30 bucks a pop and then <laughs> would give you a $10 coupon off the console when you returned it. <laughs> Fun stick story. your eyes right in there. That's how I know the Virtual Boy exists. Was Blockbuster? Because I saw one in Blockbuster, and I was like, that's cool, let's <laughs> rent it. And my dad was like, no, we're going to rent... Your eyeballs know, will fall out. We're going to rent, like, uh, Speed or something. Yeah, that'll turn you into a man. <laughs> yeah. Classic, classic <laughs> <Yeah>. Austin <laughs> crying while watching Speed instead of playing Virtual Boy. Yep. <laughs> Can't look at Keanu Reeves to this day. Yeah, Speed is dope. Yeah, no, Speed is incredible. <laughs> speed 2 is better. No, it is not! Are you any of mine? I'll usually side with you in, the, in an effort to make Randy angry, but I'm drawing the line. <laughs> I, yeah. I played one of these at a... It must have been an EB Games for like a few minutes when I was... At a what? I've never touched one or seen one in my life. I texted my brother because he's fly, about yeah, 10 years older than me, and I asked him if he had any experience with it. And he said he remembers them at Blockbuster, but there wasn't really too many around, and nobody we knew would pay $300, no, essentially, for I one I never knew time. anyone that owned one. Yeah. So part of the reason they were them out is because it was kind of difficult to grasp what you were getting into without experiencing it as we saw by that horrible fucking ad that makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, it's a good strategy to get people it to is. try it. Like, that's However, the problem VR is facing now. Like, this ultimately ended up hurting Nintendo in the long run. Oh, because yeah, most, people, like... most people rented it and then <laughs> saw what it was and then realized it wasn't worth fucking $179. Yeah, returned it early with a migraine and went, no thanks. Yeah. In Japan, by December of the same year it came out, that's just barely six months after its release, Nintendo shut it down. They axed the Virtual Boy. Oh, gee. Holy Almost, shit. Oh, about six months after its release. Oh. It sold 140,000 units in Japan. Now, that's, that's, that's rough. That's a lot of stuff. Pretty good for anybody else, but not for Game Boy. Not for... Multi, multi million. Ooh, yeah, unit when you Famicoms. looked at how the Famicom, yeah, the, the both the Famicom systems were doing over there, like, ooh. yeah. How how many copies did the Game Boy sell? Eight hundred thousand. The Game Boy is like the fifty Game Boy, something yeah, million. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be like eighty million or something. It's a lot. Yeah. Also, Randall, I think is what we were confused about in the beginning. It was shut down 
in 96 okay. that same Pro- year. It yeah. had to be prior to the N64, I'm sure. Yeah, like, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> okay. And then they didn't want to cannibalize their own sales. Yeah. They don't want people oh. going, going to the store with, like, the cats up ketchup uh, <laughs> thing and being like, Virtual Boy N64? <laughs> Ocarina of Time or Space Pinball? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Which one? Yeah. yeah, there's some there's some guy who hates video games with a Virtual Boy in his attic right now because he made the wrong choice in '97. Hey, they both had a Tetris on it. Yeah, did you ever play Tetris? Virtual and Boy Tetris? Wario World. Wario World's the no. best game on the Virtual Boy. I like how they reused that name again for a later <laughs> Wario game, thinking no one would know. <laughs> well, this is from the man who wrote Yokoi's biography. Quote. What he really regretted was the fact that he hadn't managed to develop a new, completely different type of video game. Yokoi blamed the failure on various factors, from unfair press coverage to misunderstandings to hardcore video game players. And foremost, he blamed Nintendo in Japan for not doing enough to market the system there. I mean, they never seemed fully behind it, like, to begin with. Which is interesting because it wasn't like they weren't interested at all. Because they put millions of dollars into research and development. Yeah, right. Building factories, buying royalties. They, they put a lot of money into it. Quote from him again, Give me one billion yen to market it, and I would have launched the Virtual Boy into the stratosphere. That's about $10 million. <laughs> That's a little, uh... <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It's a little presumptuous. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> so, in America, where it was doing marginally better, they actually kept it going. They dropped the price from 179 to 159 in October, but then by May of 1996, they dropped it to $100. Mm. And then soon, there was no mention of the Virtual Boy ever again. They officially shut it down in America in August of 96, right after E3 96. It's funny because so, now it's so worth one year later, right? Now, now it's worth way more than that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, now it's worth like what, like three hundred dollars? I don't know. I'm gonna look it up. So, just barely a year after its launch, you could find the Virtual Boy in the clearance section of toy stores for like thirty dollars. Man, it barely made it six months in Japan, barely a year in America. This is not actually as expensive as I thought it would be. Like a Rob the Robot costs more than that. It's it's like around two hundred bucks to get like a refurbished one. Yeah, you want to yeah, get a virtual boy. Yeah, actually, some of these are selling for like one seventy five. We're getting a virtual boy. Yeah, an official. We're post a YouTube video of us. Playing yeah, but here, it, but okay, no so here's footage. the problem: just... the games are way more expensive. These games are like cost more than the. Well, some of them are cheap. Tetris is expensive, which is all I care about. Sidebar: Virtual Boy be a, a good prop for a video set. <laughs> it really would be. Mm-hmm. I bet it, I, it might be cheaper to get a broken one. <laughs> Wow, yeah, some of these like 150. One, yeah. Well, I should stop looking at those. <laughs> so for Nintendo, this was a loss. But even with the factory built and the development and the marketing and all that, a company the size of Nintendo could just eat that shit up. After all, the N64 was about to be released in September of 96. So they were well on their way to making up for their losses. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've done that before when you look at stuff with the Wii U. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, they can recover. Wait, the Wii U was a failure? <sighs> Austin, I hate to break it to you, but... I do not recall that. I still <laughs> play mine every day. <laughs> I even bought a, I bought a backpack, I put it in there. It's like a portable system. Uh, well... I wish they would just make a portable system like the Wii U, but they're never going to do that. But so. you <laughs> had to lean into it and put it on the table. Yeah. <laughs> 
But for Alan Becker and RTI, this wasn't just something they could eat. This was an absolutely devastating loss. They had bet the future of their company off of building a relationship with Nintendo and the success of the Virtual Boy. And their FaxView product? Surprise! It never really took off. (laughs) And after a few years of researching new technology and working on a color version of the private eye display, RTI ran out of funding and closed down just a couple years after. Shame. Yeah. Yeah, Nintendo's all right. They walk away, but it, it kind of fucked these guys over. Yeah. As for Yokoi, quote, when it failed, he, meaning Yamauchi, just withdrew the product quickly and didn't try to pin the blame on Mr. Yokoi, but Yamauchi expected people to take responsibility for their mistakes. And I think that Mr. Yokoi felt this, and this is why he tried to make up for his failure on the Virtual Boy with another product. That product, by the way, ended up being the Game Boy Pocket. <laughs> so, he made up for it. Yeah, right know? before Pokemon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After that, Yokoi, who had put his retirement on hold, decided that it was time to take that off of hold. In August of 1996, he retired after 31 years with Nintendo. Oh, he did retire before, okay. But, given his proximity to the Virtual Boy failure, a ton of media outlets accredited his retirement and the failure of the product to him leaving Nintendo. But, the contrary, it wasn't like that. Literally, several times he was like, no, like, it was overdue. Like, I I had stayed, like, several extra years than I wanted to, I am just want to get out of here and work on my next thing. Mm. Um, he remained silent about it in the media because he was already hard at work on his next adventure. Just as he planned, he started his own company a month after leaving Nintendo called Koto Laboratory, and he was joined by a longtime co-worker from R&D1, Yoshihiro Taki, and those two men worked on developing LCD keychain games, and... They even made a small handheld console that ran off of one AA battery, and they sold it to Bandai, and it was known as the Wonder Swan. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Yeah, it was only ever built in Japan, but it's a it's pretty cool. It's like a one battery handheld system. Sadly, in 1997, after a small traffic accident outside of Tokyo, Yokoi was struck by another driver and killed as he was trying to leave his car to inspect the damage. Yeah. He was 56 years old. I'm sad, man. So, I, that, I think that came up on our Tetris episode as well. Yeah. Was, yeah. Between the virtual boy, the retirement, and his death all in such proximity, everyone thought this was all tragically linked, but in this story, we're going to express the fact that he left Nintendo exactly when he wanted to, and he moved right. on to do exactly what he loved and what he did best, which is invent things. That's good. So, I, the, yeah, I, I think people associate the failure of this console with, like... You know, it's easy to absolutely to see that more as this like tragic kind of no. downfall. But he was fairly young. I mean, he wasn't even he was absolutely fifty six yeah, for yeah. a successful businessman. Yeah, Yokoi Gunpei was an incredibly talented and wildly experienced engineer who, over his lifetime, participated in creating some of the most iconic technology in gaming history. Literally, like without him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Literally without him, we would have no nostalgic memories of playing Game Boy in the car by the light of passing streetlights. Mm-hmm. So for that alone, thank you, Mr. Yokoi. I, I appreciate delivering that aesthetic to the world. Yeah. <laughs> and your multitude of other incredible inventions. And the virtual boy. <laughs> As for the Voucher Boy itself, well, its legacy is now, as we talked about for a moment there, a collector's item. Yeah. This is one of those times that Nintendo tried and failed, and as a result, ended up creating this 
incredibly interesting artifact of gaming history. Like the Power Glove. <laughs> like the Power Glove. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it does make you appreciate it and respect like what it was going for in mm-hmm. that era. And you still see it's, you know... It's legacy on and stuff like the uh, what's the uh, the card uh, Labo, like mm-hmm. you know there there's a, yeah yeah and and the 3ds of course like I mentioned yeah. earlier but yeah what I get out of this is that this proves that Nintendo has if not still or had a ton of very fun loving good engineers that are willing to be invested in creating toys to entertain people and. This is just a situation where it just didn't work out the way they thought it would because that's unfortunately not always how tech industry and gamings work, you know, and or business in general. I would love to just have the virtual boy be exactly what he wanted it to be and be a fun toy and, you know, whatever, yeah. fall into history just as every other toy it has. Needed but- its, it needed its Mario 64. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think apparently in North America they packaged the Mario Tennis with it's like they kind of went against their Mario thing, but it never really had a true like you know game that no. you associate with it. Like nope. even like even some of the platforms that have fumbled the hardest throughout like our show, like it's like they still had this this system seller, I guess you could say. Like it's but yeah, Virtual Boy never had that. I mean, all in all, there were like less than two dozen games and. In yeah, total, and like, I think a big part of that was the fact that once they realized things weren't working out the way they, they thought they bailed. would, they kind of bailed on it and pushed it out as this sort of gap filler. So they, they probably almost presumed it would end quickly. I'm, I'm sure they did. didn't guess as quick as it did, <laughs> yeah. but I'm pretty sure they had they had ideas. Yeah, know? people still emulate uh, the stuff now. I think they've been able to render the colors a little differently. But yeah, it, it's. It still has its place in history. Yeah. It absolutely does. Yeah. So there you go. It was a nice <laughs> little hop on episode about the Virtual Boy. No, it's cool. Like I said, this a lot of this was completely new to me. Growing up a Nintendo kid, the Virtual Boy was always this sort of like this distant thing I was never able to touch for yeah. myself. Yeah. Like, and it's still it still kind of is. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's true. <laughs> it's this very I got two hundred bucks. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can buy, yeah. buy one right now. <laughs> That's I said. I I, should, I can't keep looking at that stuff. I'll end up. <laughs> you think they have an HDMI adapter for the Virtual Boy? It's <laughs> an inside joke. Randy bought an HDMI adapter for the GameCube. Best money I ever spent. Is it? It looks so good. You know it does. Does it? Does it also be honest? Does it? It's an upscaler. It's not like a converter. Like it's a true fucking. It is the best way to see that shit. And but, now we have this other little fucking USB thing we plug it into that like adds anti-aliasing and like depth of field shit. So can I put in four K? It's him rant so on and try to justify. I it. No, you're right. You it ain't, does, see, you yeah. ain't seen Smash Brothers Melee until you see it in four K. That game looked like shit then, and it does now. <laughs> That's not even true. <laughs> I know. <it's> true. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll uh, ever kind of venture into anything? Virtual this? Boy Classic. <laughs> Virtual Boy Classic. Wow. <laughs> Virtual Boy Classic. No. This time it'll actually be portable. <laughs> it's it was it, it had I b- batteries. See, here's the thing: if I worked at Nintendo, I could see a world where like you get into the VR game with Nintendo. Like, if they were like, we're going to compete with the PlayStation VR, and they just made the Virtual Boy 2, but it was just a headset, <laughs> and it just looked like the Virtual Boy. I mean, at least this made it to market, because, like, Sega tried to do one, too, and that got canceled, I think. Like, yeah, they, um, they, I think they made Arcade uh, 
like oh, okay. VR headsets, but they never actually pushed the home console. So like, That's why like, Nintendo uh, got to keep that first home console sort like of beachhead, moniker. Like beachhead, like a <laughs> no, it's like the like the movie First Kid. Stop! Bro, I don't. <laughs> what is this movie? We gotta watch First Kid. No. Right? All right. Well, that's it. <laughs> The Virtual Boy. TM, Much like TM. the real Virtual Boy, let this episode fall into the <laughs> the the random histories of hot button episodes. I mean, yeah, like, like, and then be worth two hundred dollars. Part of the reason I, I like years. it's I'm still really glad we did this one. It's so cool because it, it, it's fucking Nintendo. Like mm-hmm. you know, like it's if this was any other you know random one-off game company that tried something this weird. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm going to do an episode on the Novant Falcon. Remember that uh, thing? No. Everybody Did the Phantom out there, come everybody out? Everybody out there, Google the Novant Falcon. It's a ball controller that you hold the ball. It's like the thing on South it Park. Looks like a they... por- it looks like a portal gun, kind of. That's cool. It, well, was to, it was supposed to replace mice for PC gaming. <laughs> I'm working on an episode right now about a... Failed handheld? Yeah. Yeah. So... All right. Not the Gizmondo. Not yet. Still holding on to that one. I'm working on a failed handheld episode myself. It's called the Xbox One. Well, that's not a handheld. It was if you plug your phone into a controller and use Xbox (laughs) xCloud. And then you can play play Halo 5 with a lot of input lag. All right. That's the way to play. All and right. much like the Virtual Boy, this episode peters out. <laughs> All right, throw All some right, plugs. I'm going to do the plugs, yeah. um, but I'm going to change our website. We have a website. I'm going to change it to Red gonna... Wireframe uh, for, the, for the week this episode comes out only. <laughs> That's not true. I'm not going to do that. It's a lot of work for a bit. But just know I had that thought in this moment. You could have just said <laughs> you did it, so by the time this drops, like... Yeah, you missed they it. already missed yeah. it. This is going to be a fun thumbnail to design. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I don't look at it and get a headache, exactly. then... Exactly. Yeah. You, guys, you guys are going to wish you never... I never got a copy of Photoshop. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Get your 3D glasses. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. We have a website, hotbuttoncast.com. There you can find links to our socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Hot Button Cast, and then a bunch of podcast feeds, our YouTube channel, things like that, however you want to consume this podcast. And if it's your first episode, we have, a lot. at this point, I think like 70 other episodes or yeah. or maybe even 69 other episodes. Nice. Hey, hey. Like and that, if, and if, sex number. If you like failed consoles, we've covered we, those we've too. We've covered a couple of those as well. Yeah. But yeah, there's, you know, there's a search function. Just type a word in and, and let your mind close your eyes and just picture red wireframe and listen <laughs> to our soothing, if not irritating voices. You know, well, I, I actually, a lot of the footage I've seen, I, I forget what the virtual voice sounded like. I bet it was great. Probably bad. Um, <laughs> Didn't have, what else? Did it have headphones? Could you plug in headphones to it? I don't know. Rate and review on iTunes and uh, word of mouth. You, you like the show? You got a friend who likes video games? Be like, hey. Hey, put your head I into know, a virtual world. <laughs> yeah, I know, that, I know that COVID's going on, but let's go for a two-hour car ride. Yeah. And then you kidnap them. 
and then you bring them cross country and you listen to every Ahapa episode along the way. Yeah, and see, back. see we how far we you do go. not advocate kidnapping anybody, <laughs> by the way. Unless it gets us listens, dude. Yeah. No, you don't gotta be willing don't to. Don't kidnap it, please, for the love of God, don't kidnap anybody. Not even. Unless. No. Um, <laughs> I think that's all the plugs. It, did I miss anything? I want <laughs> We should just end it there. <laughs> They'll never know. Yeah. This is what we get for doing this on Mondays. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, anyway, thanks for listening. Yep. Have fun. We'll Good be night, back everyone. in two weeks with a new episode.